There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life. Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, and it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokhmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokhmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokhmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us who are gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to go through a few different spots in the first three chapters of Proverbs. I'm just going to kind of read a piece of scripture and then pause for a bit to talk about it. All right? But we're going to start in Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 7. And this passage is it's essentially explaining the purpose of the rest of the book. Okay, To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let's talk about wisdom for a minute. We don't actually use that word much anymore. Um, and when we do, we, we mostly use it to describe like a combination of knowledge gained through long experience and common sense, like they're blended together. And so when we think of someone wise, we tend to picture someone older, 
right, we, we kind of make this assumption that, one, wisdom is not the same thing as intelligence, and, and that wisdom just sort of comes with age and experience. And that's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely correct either. The Bible will talk about wisdom a lot, and there are three books in particular, right? Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, the video talks about them. And, and the purpose of these books is to make you wise by reading them. And that means wisdom is not something that comes automatically with age and experience. And we all know people who have lots of age and experience but are still profoundly unwise, don't we? I won't name any names. Definitely not anyone in this room. But it means wisdom, you can get wisdom without age and experience. In the Bible, wisdom is, is, you can really define it as the skill of living well. Okay, it's the skill of living well. And if it's a skill, it can be learned, and it can be taught, and it can be practiced, and it can be developed. See, we assume wisdom is something that happens to us, right? It's, it's, we just, we get older, we get wiser, but that's not how it works. Wisdom is something that we choose to embrace. It's a skill that we choose to learn and practice. And like any other skill in life, um, you, you can get some wisdom without ever trying, right? Age and experience really do confer some measure of it. But there's a difference between picking up skills as you go along and intentionally learning them, right? Almost everyone in this room can probably cook well enough to feed yourself food that is at the very least, edible, right? If nothing else, you can put milk and cereal in a bowl. I hope. But most of you probably don't want to be trusted with Thanksgiving dinner, right? Or maybe there's a better example. We all know how to put gas in our car, right? We probably all also know how to put air in our tires. Because these are things that every adult in America will have to do. And so we all just kind of pick up these skills as we go along. But that doesn't mean we know how to fix our cars. And that's how wisdom works. All of us will pick up some basics as we go along through our lives. But without intentionally learning wisdom, we will never be truly wise. Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it is God's wisdom. Or sometimes the Spirit of the Lord, but the terms are interchangeable. This is the Holy Spirit. And she's out in the streets and standing on the rooftops, crying out to people and shouting out guidance, imploring them to abandon their foolish ways, but they do not listen. And we Methodists have a word for this. We call it prevenient grace. We believe that God's grace pervades the whole world. That his grace is at work in the world all around us in every single human life, whether they believe in him or not that God's grace is constantly present, calling sinners home. But we don't always listen to it. And so for those who do hear the voice of wisdom and turn to follow that voice, this is what wisdom looks like in chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So this is not like an exhaustive definition of wisdom, but it captures the main points. To be wise means to trust in the Lord, to remain humble, and to acknowledge God in all things. Now, it sounds simple when you put it like that, but most of us, it turns out, are really bad at this. In moments of crisis, what's your instinctive response, right? Do you, uh, do you pray or do you immediately start trying to think of a solution to the problem? Or do you pray and then immediately start trying to fix the problem yourself? That's what I do, right? I, I like pray so I can tell myself I'm doing the right thing, but then I ignore whatever God's doing and try and fix the problem on my own. When you experience success or a moment of triumph or a massive stroke of good fortune, do you immediately thank God or do you feel proud of yourself for your success? Now see, we all make these mistakes, but, but these are the foundations of wisdom because if we do this, right, if we can actually start to acknowledge God in all our ways and, and remain humble and acknowledge what God is doing and see how he is ruling over our lives and the world we live in, then it keeps our minds in the right place. Acknowledging that God is in charge, that all we have is a gift from him, that our good fortune is the result of God's blessing, that's where wisdom starts. Giving God your first fruits, right, your tithe, that, that stems from that wisdom. It's an expression of your trust in God because you're forcing yourself to rely on God's provision, right? You are making a statement that I can live just as well on 90% of what I have as I could on 100% because I know God will take care of me. And that we have, oh, hey, I'm back. Don't tell me prayer doesn't work. It's an acknowledgement that all that we have comes from God. This is a really difficult one for us to grasp, by the way, because we, we live in a culture that really emphasizes private property. But what the Bible tells us... <laughs> It's going to be fun. You can place bets on when it's going to go out. What the Bible tells us is, no, no, none of that's yours. Doesn't matter how hard you worked for it. Doesn't matter if you feel like you earned it. It's not yours. Because one day you're going to die. Oh, spoiler alert. We're all going to die. And you don't get to keep that stuff anymore. It's God's. The Bible begins with a story that explains how we are made and put in God's creation to take care of his creation on his behalf. We are stewards of what we have, but none of it belongs to us. 
See, that's the beginning of wisdom. Maintaining that mindset makes it difficult to make poor decisions. It's just kind of hard to maintain that mindset. And wisdom means acknowledging that God is active in the world and that he is active in our lives, that he is actively teaching us, guiding us, and at times disciplining us so that he can shape us into people who are more like Jesus. See, too often we fall into the fallacy of across, he rose again, he went up to heaven, and then he left us on our own to do the work, right? He's up there, he's done his job, and now it's all up to us. But that, again, is not at all how the Bible portrays things. God is still present with us. God is still working in our lives. God is working in every corner of the world. The Bible is full of examples of God using people who do not believe in him, don't acknowledge his existence to fulfill his purposes. He still does that today. Just because the world is not run by Christian governments doesn't mean God is not at work using those people to fulfill his purposes. Again, that's the beginning of of wisdom, acknowledging that God is here, he is active, he is at work. So we come to the next half of chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. When we begin to live wisely, when we learn and practice wisdom, we discover that this is indeed the best way to live. It's the way God designed us to live because he actually designed the whole world through his wisdom. And so wise living is better than any earthly reward, so much so that it makes the things we normally value and seek after seem cheap and tawdry in comparison. True happiness, lasting happiness, is found in wisdom, and wisdom comes only from God. But we reject God's wisdom, and we attempt to substitute our own, right? We come up with our own ideas about what makes life good and how we should navigate life, but invariably those ideas don't satisfy us. Our wisdom tells us that we need a good career and financial security and a happy marriage and a couple of kids and a nice car and a nice house. And it tells us that if we have those things and we aren't a jerk to people, we should be perfectly happy. But our wisdom is wrong. And so we we work hard to get those things. And most of us, by the way, will never have all of those things at the same time. But even when we do, we find ourselves unsatisfied. And so we assume that our job is no good, that we need more money, or that we need a better house or a nicer car or a different wife. We keep pursuing those things that we think will make us happy, constantly trying to upgrade our possessions or our family 
Because if these are the things that are supposed to make life good and life isn't good, the problem must be with one of those things. God's wisdom says otherwise. God's wisdom says you will never be happy and satisfied until you are living the way God designed you to live. And that way requires his wisdom. And that wisdom begins with the acknowledgement that he is Lord, the ruler of the world and the ruler of your life. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. These words are not metaphors. Christ is Lord. In fact, the word Christ, it's not, just as an aside, it's not a name, it's a title. It literally means king or messiah. All those words are interchangeable, but they all mean the same thing. He is the ruler of the earth and he is the ruler of your life. And wisdom begins by acknowledging that truth and submitting to his rule. Everything else will follow. And that means, though, the good life will not look necessarily like the life we have been taught to strive for since childhood. Because the good life has nothing to do with your career or your income or your education or your home or your family or your car, none of that. It's not that those are bad things. It's that they aren't the main thing. The good life looks like Jesus. The good life begins with Jesus. And everything flows from there. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.